Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. that we're in is are you ready part one we talked about this judgment is inescapable isn't that a cheery thought for a sunday morning worship you can't judge me who do you think you are well he's god and he's going to judge every single person who has ever lived on the face of the earth from the beginning of time to the end of time we will all be judged by God. Judgment is inescapable. You can't escape it. So you better be, what's the word on the screen? Ready for it. You better be ready for it. Um, So let's take a look. If you have your Bibles or you have your Bible app, turn to Hebrews chapter 9. This is one of the main texts that we've been using to launch off in this series. If you have your Bible app, I'm not sure if I I put it up there or not. Let's check. Sometimes I get ahead of myself. Is it on there? It's on there. How about that? I actually did my job this week. That's pretty good. So you can go to the Bible app by Uversion, head over to the menu, events, and you can follow along. You can take notes in the Bible app if you have an account, and you can highlight Scripture, which I highly suggest. Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 24. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. I love this because it kind of reveals a little bit, doesn't it, about heaven. The tabernacle is a copy, the temple is a copy of what's actually in heaven. Think about how cool is that? We can kind of get a picture of heaven and and, and just obviously to a smaller scale on earth and we see what's happening in heaven when we look at the copies on earth. But, But the author of Hebrews is reminding us of something. The copy is never as good as the original, right? Uh, It's almost like when you're watching movies, the sequel is never as good as the original, right? And so these are copies, but Jesus, he's not entering into the temple made with hands. He's gone into heaven itself, into the heavenly temple, to present his sacrifice to his Father once and for all, that he should not offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another, He would then have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now Jesus, once at the end of ages, has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Are you ready for judgment? The only way we can be ready is if our sins have been washed away. It's not a matter of balancing the scales. We see this 
in movies and on TV, right? When we talk about heaven, okay, if I do enough good works to outweigh the bad works, right, then I might get to heaven. The problem with that, of course, is we never know how many good works we need to do because honestly, most of us probably don't even know all of the sins that we've committed. Most of us are ignorant. When I, I take to praying in the morning, I'll often pray this. Lord, search my heart. Search my heart. This is the psalmist's prayer. And show me where I'm out of alignment with you. Search my heart and show me sins that I have missed so that I might confess them to you so there'll be no barrier between you and I so that our fellowship will not be broken. This is the sacrifice of Jesus. He came not to put more weight on the good side of our scale, He came to wash away the sin on the bad side of our scale. And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Judgment is inescapable. So, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Now, while we silence our cell phones, I just want to um, point this out. This is, a, this is review from last week. There's a word in this verse that ought to scare some people to death. And the word in this verse that should scare us is the word many. Because many does not mean all. And there are people in the world today that are called universalists and they believe everyone is going to heaven. As long as you believe what you believe sincerely, you've made it. Now Jesus, now listen, make sure you understand this. The blood of Christ was shed for all. Sufficient for all that would come to him. The blood of Christ is potent enough to wash away and cleanse the sins of the entire world from beginning to end, but it's only going to be applied to those who call upon him. That's why it says many and not all in this passage. It's sufficient for all, but it will only be applied to those who place their faith in Christ alone. And that's why that verse should scare us if we are not certain that we've done that because you're not one of the many if you haven't trusted Christ. Not everyone will avail themselves of His amazing love and His amazing sacrifice. Many will stay in their pride and will lose in the end. And that's the issue. Who does he think he is to tell us there's only one way to heaven? Well, he's the one that created it. And he's the one that created us. And we are beholden to him. He is not beholden to us. And he made the rules. And we need to turn from our sin of unbelief and cry out to Jesus 
to be our one and only Savior. It's not about putting good deeds on the scale to outweigh the bad deeds. Okay? You tracking with me? If that's how you're living today, you are not one of the many and you should be frightened because you will stand before the great white throne judgment as we discussed last week and you will be judged for your sins and you will be judged for your works, good and bad, and you will be punished accordingly in whatever level of hell God deems fit for you. That was a review of last week. Are you one of the many? This week we want to talk about this. Because just because you're a believer, just because you know Jesus, doesn't mean you get away. We also will stand before a judgment seat. This is a much different judgment seat, though. This is the judgment seat of Christ. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse number 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 9. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, Who is going to appear? Now listen, he's talking to Christians. Who will appear before the judgment seat of Christ? Christians. All Christians. Right? He's talking to the church. All Christians. Now I want you to notice what he said here. We make it our aim to do what? To please Him because we are going to appear before Him one day where we will receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I trust are well known in your conscience. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the living and the dead. Or the dead and the living. But, but why do you judge your brother? This is the beauty of the judgment seat of Christ, by the way. Every believer is going to stand before their Lord and Savior Jesus at the end of their days. And they're going to give an account for the life that they've lived. And so the result of this is Paul says, why do you judge your brother? Christians, we get so wrapped up in being the Holy Spirit police on everybody else, and we forget the reality that everyone else is going to stand before God and give an account for themselves. It's none of our business. Paul says, why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt to your brother? We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Christian, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Christian, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Christian, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God, it's a broken record, it's a scratch. Did you catch that? That was a... Walk with me, guys. 
Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve to do this. Don't put a stumbling block or, or a cause to fall on our brother's way. Now, this is really important. I want to talk a little bit about this. This is a judgment that every believer will face. We will all face this judgment. And, and as I mentioned while I was reading it, one of the things that knowing this frees us of, and you might not think of it as freedom, but I do. See, I used to be a judgmental son of a gun. Right? I used to be a judgmental Christian. Anybody else there? Anybody else walk in those shoes? Raise your Come on, raise your hand. Don't let it just be me. Thank you, Pat. Right? You walk in a church, and the first thing you notice is how somebody's dressed. Or you're hanging out with somebody and they let, a, they let a, a manufactured cuss word slip out and boom, you judge their spirituality. Man, I know some more, I, listen, I'll tell you what, I've met some spiritually mature people that you would look at and say, they're mature? Really? Oh my, oh my goodness. Why, why, do I, why do I see them as mature? Because of how they live and how they follow the Word of God. But it might not look like you think it should look like, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you think. It matters what God knows. In fact, that's what Paul was saying. Hey, we stand before God. He knows us, right? So um, this is the judgment every believer will face. It frees us, as I was saying, it frees us from feeling like we need to judge one another in areas that are doubtful. If you read the, the rest of this passage, the context of this is that Christians are judging other Christians about doubtful things. In other words, judging other Christians about things that are not thus saith the Lord. Right? You follow me? Is there a short length in the Bible? Does the Bible say that ladies' shorts should be down to their knees? Is that in the Bible? Does the Bible say, thou shalt not go to the cinema? Is that in the Bible? You follow what I'm saying, folks? I was wrapped up in that, judging my brother. And you know what it was? It was a burden. It was a burden. One, it was a burden because it was sinful for me to judge my brother. Two, it was a burden because it gets exhausting keeping track of all of the doubtful things that I knew about that nobody else did apparently. So when the Lord freed me of having that judgmental spirit, can I tell you what a burden was lifted? I don't have to worry about judging everybody. Jesus is the judge and they will give an account to him. It's so good. We, 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 we are freed from condemning one another. Things such as, he mentions, observing holy days and Sabbath days and eating meat offered to idols, assuming that the idol had some kind of power over the contaminated meat. Things like veganism. All right, we've, we judge people about what they eat. Even if the Bible doesn't say anything about it, we judge them. We, we judge people about having a Sunday night church service. Listen, man, I'm on, the, I'm on the judgment end of this because we altered how we do church here. And there are other believers in other churches looking at a manual and they say this. Are you ready for it? 
Well, Emmanuel used to be a good church. Emmanuel used to be a Bible-preaching church. Emmanuel, I read a review on Google, Emmanuel used to have a great man of God, but not so much anymore. I'm like, yeah! Bring it! This is coming from a physically abusive, sexually abusive person of his family who was upset that we stood by his ex-wife. Whatever, I'm just saying. One thing that we will not be judged for. We will not be judged for our sins. This used to terrify me. I used to hear the judgment seat of Christ preached this way. There's going to be a, a movie screen. And on the movie screen, your whole life is going to flash. Now, that may or may not be true. I don't think God uses movie screens, but hey, whatever. And every unconfessed sin in your life, you will, you will pay for at that time. That's what I used to believe. The issue I have with that is that Jesus has paid for all of my sins, past, present, and future. I can't be condemned for something he was already condemned for. So brothers and sisters, if you're living in fear of having your sin revealed at the judgment seat of Christ and being condemned for your sin at the judgment seat of Christ, it is a false fear. It's a false doctrine. The blood of Christ washes away our sins. We are judicially cleansed. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, Satan may try to bring up our sin, but the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, we have an advocate who says, He is mine. And our sins are paid for. I don't know about you, but I find that to be incredibly good news. We cannot be judged for our sins. Turn to Romans chapter 7. Let's look a little bit more about this judgment seat. I find in a law that, that, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. Anybody else feel that way? Like, I love to please God. I love my Lord. I want to do the right thing. I want to live a good life. Does anybody else feel that way? But then we run into trouble. I see another law in my members, in my flesh, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. In other words, earlier in the passage, he says, that which I want to do, I don't do. That which I don't want to do, I do. Anyone ever run into that buzzsaw in their life? Oh, wretched man, how, who said this? Maybe you're not as poetic as the Apostle Paul, but who has said this? Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Anybody else say something similar? Maybe not as poetically, but you've said something similar. And then this, but I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but the flesh, the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We will not be judged for our sins. There is therefore now no condemnation. If we say we have no sin, now those that are a little high and mighty and holier than thou, if we say we have no sin, John now, Jesus' best buddy on the earth, John says, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. There was a book that came out several years ago called uh, 
um, Repent to a Dying Nation or something. It was written by a hyper-fundamentalist. And he chose to pick on just a few sins that so many people struggle with. And his, his whole point was, his whole point was this. If you struggle with this sin, then you're not saved. But he ignored, listen, the book talked about pornography and alcoholism and things like this, but he ignored, he ignored gluttony. You follow what I'm saying? He ignored a bad temper. He ignored bullies in the pulpit. You follow? He ignored the comfortable sins. He misunderstood this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. And here's the verse I mentioned a moment ago. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin, and if anyone does sin, He has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He Himself is the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but also for the whole world, the many who will trust Him. So, I think we've established we will not be judged for our sins. That's for the great white throne judgment. Those who are not part of the many. Right? But what will we be judged for? When, when I answered the call to preach, the judgment seat of Christ was very much on my mind. I was in disobedience to God. I was in disobedience to God. I would be judged for that. And when I answered the call to preach, one of the things that God placed on my heart was prepare my people for their judgment. And so once in a while, I get up and I preach a message like this because you need to be prepared to meet your maker. You need to be prepared to give an account of your life before your Savior. What will we be judged for? The Christian will be judged to determine our rewards or our loss of them. There are rewards that Christians will receive at the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. I don't know about you, but that's good news. I like rewards. Right? Who doesn't? Now he goes this. He goes on, he says this. Now 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul speaking again. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field. You're God's building. Paul is talking about himself and other pastors and other church planters, right, and other preachers. He says, we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and that foundation is Jesus Christ. I've laid the foundation and another comes along and builds on it. So in the case of Emmanuel, let's look at this. Pastor Z came and founded Emmanuel Baptist Church on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And he led the church for about 14 and a half years. And then another came and built on it. And that was Pastor Clow. And he built on that foundation. And, and we're a really strange, odd church because I'm only the, only the third pastor in the history of the church, three pastors in over 40 years. It's remarkable in the church. And now I am laying on the foundation the things that I believe God wants me to lay on the foundation. But He's warning us who are leaders, teachers, and preachers. 
pastors and evangelists. He says, listen now, according to the grace of God which was given me, as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation, another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. So in other words, Pastor Cloud, be careful how you build on the foundation that Pastor Z laid for this church. And then he says this, now Pastor Davis, be careful what you lay on the foundation of the church that Jesus built through Pastor Z. No other foundation can, be, uh, can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So number one, you can't change the foundation. Now there are churches across the country, they have changed their foundation. The church has ceased to be about Jesus Christ. It has lost its focus. The Word of God is something they give lip service to and something that they don't kneel to. Right? So we need to be careful as pastors and teachers and preachers that we don't wreck what God laid for the foundation. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, I know some of you guys you are saying, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a teacher. Just, just wait for it. Just hang with me here, okay? If anyone builds on this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hair, straw, each one's work will be clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work what sort it is. If anyone's work which was built on it endures, he will receive a reward. Woo! That's cool. Okay. Oh. It didn't stop there. Darn it. If anyone's work is burned... He suffers loss. Does he go to hell? Does he go to purgatory? Does he go to a waiting room? Is he burned just a little bit? No, his works are burned. But he himself will be saved, yet as so by fire. So what will be judged? Now, I've talked a lot about pastors, preachers, and teachers, but I want to I bring it to, to an applicable thing for you. Our ministry will be judged. Our ministry I am not the only pastor and teacher in this church. Now, I'm the lead pastor, and I bear most of the responsibility for Emmanuel. I bear most of the responsibility. It's on me. But when Brian Parent teaches in kids' worship, he also bears responsibility for his ministry of teaching and preaching. So if Brian teaches and preaches something other than Christ, and if he teaches and preaches something that is not biblically sound, guess what happens to Brian's work at the judgment seat of Christ? Rick Morin teaches and preaches in the church. If Rick Morin gets up and he preaches and teaches something that is not biblically sound and doctrin doctrinally correct, what happens to Rick Morin's works? Peter Klaus is going to be preaching here in two weeks. He's going to have two weeks in a row to preach here in the summer. If he gets up here and he preaches heresy... What happens to Peter at the judgment seat of Christ? Did you say he goes to hell? <laughs> he goes to heaven. Thank you, Pat. He goes to heaven, but his works burn up. Peter, you're secure, my brother. <clears throat> but you can bring this all the way down to your personal life because every single person, you are a leader in your life. You either lead yourself or you lead others, and you're a leader in your life. And not only is the pastor building upon the foundation of the church, he's building in your lives. And I hope that when you leave your church, 
you don't leave the sermon behind. Because now you are responsible for what you have heard. You're responsible. And the Bible says, be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So you're responsible for your circle. You're responsible for your family. You're responsible for your acquaintances and how you lay on the foundation of Christ. Our ministry. We give an account of our ministries. If we've been faithful, we find a place of reward and recognition. Whew. I'm breaking a sweat. Is it hot out there? Dude, it's hot up here. Must be my new lights. Moving on. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. For we must all appear. Now that was primarily toward pastors and teachers, but could, as I said, be applied to us as we lead different areas in our lives in the church. But here he says, we must all appear before the judgment of seat of Christ so that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, this could be confusing because I know that I'm not going to be judged for my sins, so what does he mean by bad? Well, I'm glad you asked. Bad essentially means this, of no value. This is what the word bad means. Our deeds will be judged, not our sins. Now, I'm, I'm belaboring that point because I think people are fearful unnecessarily right? Now, you should be fearful on earth because the Bible says your sin will find you out. So if you're hanging on to sin and you're hiding it and you're not trying to deal with it and you're not repenting of it, eventually it'll be revealed. But not at the judgment seat of Christ. Judicially, you are clean. We will be judged for our deeds. Bad means of no value. Literally, it means worthless. What causes something to be worthless? A lack of faith, a lack of love, an evil motive. Today, many are losing their way. We look across the political landscape. We look across our national landscape. And we see Christians who are doing deeds that lack love. Forgetting the golden rule. Forgetting to put others ahead of self. Forgetting mercy and forgetting love. Aren't you glad that God hasn't given up on you yet? Aren't you glad God hasn't given up on you? Now I said yet, but here's the reality. He's never going to give up on you, Christian. Either he'll take you home to heaven so he doesn't have to deal with your obnoxious rebellion, or he'll keep working with you. And I've got a saying, I coined this years and years ago when I was a youth pastor, if you're not dead, God's not done. And I don't know about you, but I can say, I can say glory to his name. If you're not dead, God's not done. Our works that are bad are works that lack faith, works from an evil motive, works that lack love. Matter of fact, let's look at chapter 12 of Romans. Chapter 12 of Romans is really a dissertation on what a, of what a Christian should look and act like. Romans chapter 12. I wish that you would read the whole chapter, but we'll begin reading in 
verse number one. This is the judgment of a Christian. This is the standard here. Let love be without hypocrisy. You know what love with hypocrisy is? Flattery. It's not love. It's love designed to get something from someone. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. I think the Lord put these words in here for a very specific reason because it's easy for us to become deceived by evil because evil is beautiful in some cases. Now there's evil that is obviously evil. When you look at some atrocities committed during war, war crimes, and you look at rape and murder, you could easily say that's evil. But there are other instances of evil which masquerade themselves with beauty. And he says, learn to hate. We are to hate what is evil. And then he says this word, cling. We are to grasp tightly that which is good. Listen, churches are going through very difficult times right now because out of sight, out of mind. And there are people that once were faithful to their church and they're no no longer faithful. They've ceased to cling to that which is good because there's so many other second best things around. We need to learn to grasp and hold on to that which is good and not let it be ripped from our grasp. He goes on, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligent, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. How do you serve the Lord? Anybody want to give a stab at it? He says, he said, be kindly affectionate to one another, preferring one another, not lagging in diligent, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Jesus says, as you've done to one of these, the least of my brethren, you have done it unto me. When we serve one another in the right spirit, with the right motive, and with a heart full of love, we are actually serving the person of Jesus Christ. How cool is that? How awesome is that? Some of us are so obstinate, we don't want to get a, even grab a cup of coffee or a cup of water for somebody. And Jesus says, if you, give, if you give someone a glass of water in a prophet's name, you get a prophet's reward. Some of you all are like, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a preacher, I can't get that crown that a preacher gets. He says, if you give a glass of water to somebody in the name of a prophet, you get the prophet's reward. And I'm kind of like, that's not fair. <laughs> now that I think about it, no, I'm just I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continually, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saint, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Holy smoke, that just 
that hit me really hard because I read Facebook and all I see is people wise in their own opinions. <laughs> is it safe to come out? If it be possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Sometimes you can't. Because you can bend over backwards and do everything right, and the other person will not accept your love. They're just obstinate. So, as much as it's possible. I'm so glad God put that in there. Because if you're a people pleaser... And you have this mindset that I just have to live peaceably with everybody, period. You're going to be miserable. It's not possible. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you'll heap coals of fire upon his head. And that's the fires of conviction. I know some people think it's the fires of hell, but no, it's the fires of conviction. Right? Some of y'all, you want to be like James and John, the sons of thunder, when people were blaspheming and they weren't following Jesus and they weren't listening to him. They said, hey, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven? And Jesus is like, dudes, relax. No. Some of us Christians, we're so much like James and John. We're ready to call down fire from heaven and burn people to ash. And we're supposed to actually be kind to them and love them and feed them and care for them and in so doing heap coals of conviction on their heads that they might either come to Christ or get right with Him. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Some of y'all have had people working evil in your lives, and you are so stuck on what they are doing to you that you have forgotten the antidote for evil is good. And we have seen and testify the Father. First John now. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, the many for whosoever. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in Him. Love has been perfected among us in this. And here it is. How can I approach the judgment seat of Christ with confidence? That's the question, isn't it? Are you ready? Are you ready? How can I know when I approach the judgment seat of Christ that there will be fewer worthless works and more good works? How can I know this? How can I have this confidence? I used to live in terror of the judgment seat of Christ. I used to live in terror of it. I know some of you still do. But you can have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. This is about one of my most favorite passages in all of the Bible. This is really the verse that our motto, bless God, bless others, be the blessing, comes from. Because when we bless God and we bless others, we are being as he is. Why? Because we learn this about Jesus. The first thing he was about was this. 
pleasing the one that sent him his father. Can I get an amen? Jesus came to earth and they said, why do you say these things? Why do you do these things? He said, I can't help it. I'm just doing what I saw my father do. And I'm just saying what my father tells me to say. He came to please the Father, bless God. And then he came to serve us. He came to love us. He said, the Son of Man did not come to serve. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to be a servant of all. That is being the blessing. That's where our motto comes from is this first. How can we have confidence in the day of judgment? Because as he is, so are we in this world. That asks, that, listen, that begs the question, how is he? How was he? We need to know about Jesus from the beginning to the end. We should learn about the life of Jesus and allow him to live it in us through the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit. It's so vital. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but I hate my brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother who he's seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this is the commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must also love his brother. It's unequivocal. There is no wiggle room. This is not a doubtful thing like Paul was talking about. We judge one another in doubt. There's no doubt here. We are to love our brother also. And when we love our brother, we love Jesus. When we love our brother, we love Jesus as he is so are we in this world. Now there's so much more. There's so much more to talk about concerning the judgment seat of Christ. There are a number of crowns that the New Testament describes that we can actually strive for and receive. There's a passage where Paul is talking to his is his son, his beloved son in the faith, Timothy, where he says, unless a man strives for masteries lawfully, he, does not, he is not rewarded, he is not crowned. There are so many other passages that, that, that I could allude to, but time escapes us. And what I want to challenge you to do is if you have opted out of our weekly email, opt yourself back in. Because usually Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, I'll send out an email called this Sunday Sermon Weekday Workout. Sunday Sermon Weekday Workout. And the goal of sending that email out is to remind you of what you heard on Sunday and then to remind you to work it out on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And my plan this week is to pull in some of those passages that I couldn't fit into this sermon. What you see on Sunday usually is the tip of the iceberg. And what I hope to send out this week is, is just a little bit of what's beneath the surface. But needless to say, if we live our lives like Jesus, those crowns will be within easy reach if we live our lives like Jesus. And then at the end of days, in the book of Revelation, it says that they will cast their crowns before Him. 
What's the purpose of gaining rewards? What's the purpose of being heaped upon with gold, rubies, precious stones, and silver? What's the purpose of that? The purpose of that is when we go to the party in heaven, we have a gift to lay down at the feet of our Savior. The purpose is never pride. The purpose is a heart of gratitude and joy. And this is what all of us can look forward to. Every single person in this room, you can look forward to hearing this if you will be faithful and learn to live in love like Jesus. His Lord said to him, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter in to the joy of your Lord. Oh, who, who else looks forward to that? You can hear that. You can know that that is what you will hear if you are as He is in this world. That's the importance of our model. That's the importance of the DNA of Emmanuel Baptist Church. It's to live in love like Jesus. To act like Him, think like Him, talk like Him, give like Him, and care like Him. Do you? Are you ready? That's the question. Are you ready? You can be. That's the answer. Hey, all, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.